You're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. An unfortunate reality is that every single one of us misses the mark. As inventive, creative, and successful as humans can be in many aspects of life, the only way to overcome our sin is through Jesus. This week in the Forgiving Challenge, we want you to meet Peter, a disciple of Jesus. Despite Jesus believing, entrusting, and investing in Peter, Peter failed Jesus at his most critical time of need. Rather than Jesus casting Peter aside, we will find the truth that any of our failures simply become an opportunity for the grace of Jesus to appear in our stories. Here's week two of the Forgiving Challenge. A little bit about my story. I was not raised in a Christian home. I I came to faith later on in life. And one of the early things that kind of messed with me about Christianity was this idea that I heard a lot of my friends talking about, this idea of sin. You see, I had a number of friends who were Christians, and uh, they often were were trying to get me to become a Christian. I kind of felt like I somehow earned the spot of being their personal pet project. And, uh, and, I, and I remember asking one of them one time, I was just like, like, why do you care? Like, why do you care that I become a follower of Jesus? And he's like, well, because you're a sinner. Now, as a high school, you know, teenage boy, uh, I, I didn't know exactly what the word sin or sinner meant, but I had a vague notion that it was bad. So like all teenage boys, when I'm confused by vocabulary, I got offended. You know, that's what we do. And I was just like, I just, I just don't like this idea of sin because this idea of sin, what it conjured up in my mind was that this was a term that was essentially used to distinguish the insiders from the outsiders, the good people from the bad people, the religious haves from the religious have-nots. It was, it was that word that made me think of those, you know, street corner preachers who don't know you and they, they're yelling at you about all the things that God hates about you. And about how you live. And so that, that's, that, that was all I knew about sin. And, and there's a reason why I think many people still tend to think of sin that way. And that's because, honestly, that is how that word has been used by some religious people. It goes all the way back, you know, 2,000 years ago. I mean, uh, one of the things that the religious leaders, one of the problems that they had with Jesus was that he was hanging out with a crowd that they considered to be sinners. And they're like, that's not what we religious types do. We do not hang out with those kinds of people because they're the outsiders and we're the insiders. They're the have-nots and we're the haves. They're the bad people and we're the good people. But what's interesting to note is that that word sin and and this idea of, of being a sinner is one that not only they misunderstood, but one that we ourselves still misunderstand today. And it's essential. It's essential that we actually get this term right. If we're really going to understand not only the beauty of God's forgiveness, but how that forgiveness leads to freedom. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about sin. But, but, but if you're sitting there and you're just like, oh, great, we're going to have one of those fire and brimstone messages. Not, not for me. Okay. Those are the types of messages I didn't like, okay? When I was, uh, before I became a follower of Jesus, I still don't like them today. One of the things I think that we're going to find is that sin is something that, that, that all of us have gotten wrong. And yet when we get it right, it helps us to truly see how amazing the grace of God is. 
So let's dive in. Let's talk about what sin actually is. The Bible uses a lot of different words uh, to talk about sin. Some of those words are words like transgression or iniquity. And then, yes, the the word itself, this three-letter word that our culture kind of treats like a four-letter word, this word sin. And one of the things that's interesting to note about the word sin is, is what it actually means. The word sin, if you were actually to go back and look at the Old Testament, uh, is actually an archery term. And it means to miss the mark. Okay, that's all, that's all it means. It means to miss the mark or to fail to complete some sort of activity. All right, that's all it meant. It, it actually wasn't uh, essentially a moral word until it started being used in the scriptures to talk about us. And when this word sin comes up, it, it's basically saying, hey, there's, there's a mark that we're all supposed to be aiming at, and yet none of us hit the target. So what is the target? What is the goal? What is it that we're supposed to be striving for, but so many of us fail to ultimately achieve? Well, to help us understand that, I want to look at briefly a, a, a short passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 to 16. Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples. He's a close friend of Jesus. He knew Jesus and his teachings well, and this is what he says. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What Peter says, he says, the target that we're aiming at is holiness. To be holy, it means that you are set apart for something special. And specifically, what he tells us, he says, you're actually set apart for God. God made you to live a life that reflects his goodness to the rest of the world. That you are to be holy as he is holy. And that's part of the reason why we start to understand why maybe sin is an appropriate term to talk about us and to talk about the human condition. Because if the, if the standard, if the goal is holiness, and specifically the holiness of God, we can see how very few of us would actually match up. That if God is, is perfect in every sense of the term, very quickly we start to realize that, that this idea of sin is something that applies to every single human being. That if God is the standard, when it comes to sin, there are no insiders and outsiders. We're all in the same boat. It's not a standard we can live up to. And, and honestly, that I think is part of the reason why it's so offensive to many people because they feel like that's a standard that's just so ridiculously high, no one could possibly meet it. No one could possibly reach it. But, but here's where I think it's really important to understand. God's desire is that we would live a life that points people to him. And, and honestly, we start to see how desperately we need God's grace when we really start to think about it. Because if, if we, if, even if we were to accept a lower bar, I think what we would find is that very few of us actually make the cut. Because even when we set our own standards, everybody at some point falls short. I remember when this really came home for me, uh, I was working in college ministry. And uh, every so often we would do these outreach events on campus where we'd kind of like set up some conversation pieces around campus just to engage people in deeper religious discussion. 
And I remember one time there was a young man who came up to me when we were, you know, doing, doing this little outreach event. And he said, you know, hey, um, I really don't understand why you Christians keep insisting that we need to believe in Jesus. I, I really think that it's really just about being a good person. You know, if we, if we could be just good people, that, that should be enough. And I said, all right, fair enough. Why don't you explain to me, what do you, when you say we should all be good people, what do you mean? He's like, well, to be a good person is someone who, who, who doesn't put yourself first. You actually put the, the needs of other people before your own. You're looking for opportunities to serve the, the least and, and, and the lost. You're, you're taking time to find ways to make a difference, to pursue things like justice and, 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 and goodness and, and to welcome in the outsiders, to not take advantage of other people. Like he just goes on and on and on and it gets to the end of it. It's a beautiful definition of goodness. And I actually looked at him and I was just like, you know what? I love your definition. I think you're absolutely right. I think you, I think you would actually, you, you would have a, a lot in common with what Jesus tells us the goal of life should be. But let me ask you a question. How well do you do living up to the definition that you just gave me? Like if I had a camera that recorded every moment of your life, both in public and in private, and it had an audio recording that not only picked up what you said out loud, but what you also said inside your head. How well do you do? And suddenly he goes, oh, well, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, not everybody's, nobody's perfect. I mean, yeah, I've said a couple things that maybe I regret and thought, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's exactly my point. That's why Jesus is so essential. Because we can't even live up to our own standards, much less God's. When it comes to the standard that God has set for us, every single one of us falls short. That's why we need Jesus. I love how one of, one of Jesus' other followers, a guy by the name of Paul, put it in Romans 3.23. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. His emphasis is on all. So when we use the term sin and sinner to distinguish between insiders and outsiders, haves and have-nots, we're using it wrong often because we're using the wrong standard. God has called us to reflect his glory to the world. We were made in his image as human beings, given this incredible dignity. But with that dignity came responsibility, and it's a responsibility that every single one of us falls short in. And the reason we have to start here, the reason we, why we have to spend some time talking about sin is because if we're going to talk about the solution we first have to get honest about this problem that we all struggle with. I mean, that's part of what doctors do, right? When we've got an illness or a sickness, they need to get an accurate diagnosis before they can then prescribe a treatment. That's the only way we're going to get well. And when it comes to sin, we, got, we have to get this diagnosis right. In fact, that's how Jesus himself talked about it in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He said, it, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if that's us, and we're all in the same boat, the question is, how does Jesus deal with sinners? And the answer might surprise you. I want to go back to Peter. The guy who we just read a few moments ago said, hey, the bar, the standard is holiness. It's 
God's holiness. Because when we look at the story of Peter, we actually get an answer to our question of how Jesus deals with sinners. Peter is, is probably the most fully formed character in the Gospels after Jesus himself. Of all the other people that we meet in the Gospels, it's, it's Peter who seems to be the most described, well-rounded person in the entire story. And in many ways, what you could say is, is Peter is kind of a foil for Jesus. Now, the, uh, uh, the literary term for foil means that they're a supporting character who highlights and emphasizes the central hero of the story. Okay, Jesus is the central hero of the Gospels. But Peter is there almost as our representative. It's through Peter that we really understand what it means to follow Jesus and to, and to be a disciple and to really understand what it looks like to have a relationship with him, which is perfect because that's exactly what Peter is in the Gospels. He, uh, of all the disciples, he's kind of the one that Jesus picks to be the guy. He's the one who, whenever Jesus asks questions to the disciples as a group, Peter's kind of the spokesman. And it's something that we quickly learn about Peter is that he's very, very quick to speak and slow to think. Uh, often his mouth gets in the way of his brain. There's actually one of my favorite moments with, with Peter is when Jesus is, is revealed in all of his glory and God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son, you need to listen to him. The words, the very next words literally read, and then Peter, not knowing what to say, said, like, it's like he didn't even know what to say, he's still opening his mouth. Peter is the representative of what it means for us to be disciples. And when we first meet Peter, Jesus calls him to follow him. And, and this is what we learn about Peter. Peter is, the, is probably the last person that any religious teacher or rabbi would have looked to and said, I want you to be a part of, of my inner circle. Here's why. Uh, Pastor Adam Hamilton wrote a beautiful book on, on Peter's life, and this is what he says. He says, in the Jewish population, there was a class of people going back hundreds of years before the time of Jesus and Peter called Am Haaretz. The phrase literally means the people of the land. The term has an interesting history, but by the time of Peter, it meant people who were poor, uneducated, lower class, and particularly people who were not careful in their observance of the law. That's Peter. Peter is, is, is the last guy that any rabbi would have looked to and said, you, you're the man. And what's so cool is when Jesus calls Peter to follow him, he immediately gives him a name because his, his original name wasn't Peter, it was Simon. That was his name. And yet, Peter, and yet Jesus looking at Simon says, you're no longer Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. And Peter simply means the rock, okay? Such a cool name. Peter hasn't done anything and he's already got a cool nickname from Jesus, like, you can almost hear the WWE announcer, Simon the Rock, son of Jonah, right? And you can imagine Peter getting that name and being like, that's right, I am the Rock. You know, and just, you know, just get ready to throw down. He hasn't done anything. And Jesus says, you're the guy. On you, I'm going to build this crazy organization, this new family that I'm going to call the church. And along the way, we kind of see Why? Peter, though he's kind of a, a foolish and bumbling dude at times, does get some things right about Jesus. One of Peter's bright, shining moments is actually when they're on the road walking along and Jesus actually asks his disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? 
And they say, well, some of them think that you're the prophet Elijah. Others think that you're John the Baptist come back to life. Still others think you're just a, another prophet. And he says, but what about you? And Peter's the one who speaks up. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the Savior, the one that we've been looking for. And Jesus says, you got it. Peter does understand some things about Jesus. But what Peter is most known for is not being the big boulder, but he's known actually for being the big blunder. Probably the, the, the incident that really stands out in Peter's life was in the moment when Peter had an opportunity to shine brighter than all the other disciples and blew it. See, Peter was a hothead. And uh, at one point, Jesus actually tells the disciples, he says, hey, I, I am going to be betrayed. I am going to be handed over uh, and, and I'm going to be executed. And, and, uh, and Peter, being the hothead that he is, opens his mouth and says, hey, even if the rest of them fall away, not me. I'm going to go with you to the grave. I'm going to fight by your side. I'm going to be the guy who's going to go to the end because I am Simon the Rock, son of Jonah. And yet... In John, John's gospel, we read of an encounter in which Peter has an opportunity to put his life where his mouth has led him and fails. We learn that as Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now, because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm, and Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. As Jesus is inside the house of the high priest being questioned, we read that Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Yes, yeah, see, that's the kind of guy Peter was. <laughs> Originally trying to stand up for Jesus, drawing a sword, challenged him and said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter again denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. Jesus had told Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows this morning. In other accounts of this passage, we read that Peter even called down curses on his head, saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I have no idea what you're talking about. I am not this guy's disciple. And the moment he hears that bird begin to crow, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. That's Peter. A dude who missed the mark big time. A guy who knew Jesus better than probably any of us sitting here. Had an opportunity to nail it and failed. And he weeps bitterly. What is Jesus to do? What is he to do with people like that? with people like us who say, oh yeah, I can be a good person. I can nail the mark. I can be a part of your kingdom. 
And yet when push comes to shove, <laughs> we fall right over. The answer is, Jesus could have very easily just said, I'm going to start over. After all, we know that his death isn't enough to hold him down. After being crucified, Jesus rises again from the dead. He appears to his disciples. Great opportunity for him to say, you know what? I'm going to start with, you know, Judas is out. So's Peter. I've got 10. Good enough. I'll find two more and we'll go, we'll go for it. And for many of us, that's what we would think God would do to those who aren't willing to put their lives where their mouth is. Which is why I'm so grateful for what it says at the very, very end of John's gospel. In John chapter 20, you get to what you think is the end of the story. It says that after his resurrection, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, the end. But it's not. Because there's one more chapter. After saying that, after putting a bow on the story, John decides to go one more. He says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Zach Zender, the author of The Forgiving Challenge, calls this chapter, not John chapter 21, he calls this chapter 89. This is the last chapter in all the Gospels. It's the 89th chapter. And he says, this is probably my favorite chapter in the entire book, in all the Gospels, because chapter 21 is Jesus appearing once more to talk to one person, and that's Peter. And over the course of the rest of the Forgiving Challenge, we're going to focus on the conversation that they have in chapter 89. But what I love about how John begins that chapter and the message that we have for this morning is we wrestle with the fact that every single one of us has fallen short. As we wrestle with the fact that none of us makes the cut if left on our own is that Jesus isn't done. He takes sinners like Peter who screw up royally, who don't live up to their name, who can't put their life where their mouth is, and he says, not done. Not done with your story. You see, before Jesus ever called Peter, he knew exactly what would happen. He actually warned Peter several times. He says, I know, I know you desire to follow me, but you're, you're a guy who's going to miss the mark like everybody else, but here's the deal. I'm not done with you. The story goes on. There's one more chapter. There's, a, there's an 89th chapter in which Jesus again reaches out for the very one who had let him down and says, story's not finished. There's more to write. See, the thing is, is I think part of the reason why we wrestle with sin is because deep down we know that we fall short, that oftentimes the people that we disappoint the most are ourselves. We make commitments that none of us can live up to. We're constantly falling short and we feel like we've got to hide that sin. We can't let somebody know because if they do, end of story. New script, new characters, I'm out. But not with Jesus. Jesus says, I still got more to write on the pages of your life. I knew about it all and I still came for you. 
You don't have to hide that sin. You can trust me with it because I already know and I still call you mine. And that's the message for us this morning. As we are beginning this forgiving challenge is to realize God knows your sin, but he doesn't let it define your story. God knows the ways in which you've fallen short and he still calls you precious and beloved. There is nothing that you can do or fail to do that will ever separate him from the love that he has for you. And that's where the journey begins. It doesn't start when we're at our very, very best. It actually starts when we're at our very worst. And it's right there that Jesus says, let's keep going. I have a story to write on the pages of your life. And I'm going to take all that brokenness and make it into something beautiful. And so for those of you who have ever wondered, what is God going to do if he really knew? The answer is he does. And his answer is he comes and rescues you anyways. He still calls you his own. You are still beloved and precious in his sight. And his calling to you is to come and walk with him, to realize that he has a story that he desires to write on the pages of your life. And it begins right here. The church is the one place where it's okay to not be okay. Because it's the one place where the forgiveness and grace of Jesus trumps everything else. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you so much thanks that you do not let our sin be the end of our story. But in your grace and your love and your mercy, you come to us and you still say, you are mine and I have purposes and plans for you. That you take us and you give us a new name, you invite us into a new calling, and you write a new chapter. And Lord, our prayer is as we begin this journey is that we wouldn't be afraid of that. That we, okay, that we would be okay with not being okay. That we would learn to trust you with the ways in which we've fallen short, realizing that the way that you respond is only with grace and forgiveness. And so we don't have to hide anymore. I pray that that encouragement would allow us to just come to you as we are so that we might see you in all of your beauty and your glory. So help us not be afraid. But rather come to you as the one who, yes, is holy, but also full of grace and truth. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.